Let's see what's under the hood of today's guest. If you come to to a developer audience with the same tactics you've used in traditional marketing, that it will fall flat. You will not reach developers. You won't certainly won't engage them and inspire them. And so you have to have a different playbook. Welcome to Under the Hood of Developer Marketing, the podcast devoted to developer marketing, relations, evangelism, and advocacy. I'm Stathis Jorakopoulos, and I'm your host. In each episode, I welcome a guest from the developer marketing world. We talk about best practices, challenges, lessons learned, and share insights, data, and experiences to help you boost your DevRel game, talk to, and engage with developers. This podcast is brought to you by Slash Data, the leading analyst of the developer economy and devrelx.com, a hub devoted to providing resources for developer marketing professionals, including developer ecosystem trends, news and job openings, webinars, a book, and a bi-weekly digest you can subscribe to. Access them all at devrelx.com. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Under the Hood of Developer Marketing Season 3. Hope you enjoyed our latest Master Tips episode. And you can access all future developer summit sessions on demand at futuredeveloper.io. Now, let's welcome our guest for today, Adam Duvander, who is, among many other things, a principal consultant at Every Developer. Adam, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Let's get to know you first. What did you want to be uh, when you were a child? You know, how, how did you think <laughs> it grew up to be? You don't, you don't think I said I want to be a developer marketer when I, when I grow up? <laughs> Uh, don't uh, they teach developer marketing in kindergarten these days? I'm, I'm not pretty right. sure. Uh, so I, I actually do know this because my father kept a three by five card and every now and then would ask me and write down sort of the latest things. So one of the earliest ones was I wanted to be a jockey, which uh, I, I'm, I'm a large person. Uh, I'm uh, six foot six. That's almost two meters tall, and have never been particularly thin. So even as a uh, as a six year old, when I said that, it was clear. Uh, it w- My father was always supportive, but he let me know that one might not be <laughs> might not be possible. <laughs> but after that, author actually was one that kind of always was there and um, has has stuck with me through through adulthood. I certainly uh, write. As part of my profession, published my second book here recently, um, and uh, yeah, it's always been a part of. Even as a developer, I always was still writing. Okay, that's pretty cool, and uh, we'll be talking about that book in a bit. What will be the first thing you want to do when it's safe to go back to life as we knew it? Yeah, the uh, well, you and I were talking about how maybe 2020, just we should just write it off completely. But there's uh, there's definitely some pent up vacations. I uh, <laughs> I have places I places I want to go uh, that maybe weren't even on the list before. But now it's like I just want to get out there. But from a from a professional standpoint, for sure, industry events I've missed them a lot. Being able to connect with old friends, meet new friends, really those those events give me ideas and give me energy that I then am able to bring back to the office and. Uh, help make happen. So I've had to find other ways to be able to get that by reconnecting with people over uh, over phone calls and uh, and such, as I think we all have. So I'm definitely ready to to get out and see people again. Yes, please, uh, and especially events. I miss them too. 
You know, it's part where the community meets, you know, in person. And it's obviously we can make things happen through video calls and phone calls, etc. But it's much different when you are in person. For sure. Completely agree. Yeah. So I'm, I'll, I'll be excited to, to everyone listening to this to get to meet you at, at an industry event when, uh, when things get back to normal. We should have a big DevRel party. I think it's, uh, yes. Yeah. It's a must. <laughs> so uh, tell us a bit more about your journey. You know, um, we'll skip the jokey part. Uh, we can keep parts from the wanting to be an author part. So, how did you end up in your current role? What, what was your journey there? Yeah, so I mentioned that I am a developer, so that was my my first route, computer science degree, wanting to be a be a coder, but always also being interested in communicating about it. And so, um, so I kind of always did that on the side a little bit. I wrote for an old website called WebMonkey, which is owned by Wired, and ended up when I left being a full time developer, ended up being a journalist instead. So writing about technology always, first for Wired and then as the first editor of Programmable Web, which is a directory of APIs. And uh, and so that was sort of my, my entrance into developer marketing from a professional standpoint. Uh, and especially after leaving Programmable Web to go to the provider side. So worked at SendGrid, worked at Zapier and other dev tool type of type of companies. And that's what led to starting Every Developer, which is now I work with exclusively those companies that want to reach developers. And I help them do content, which is what I've been doing for a long time. This is a pretty well-structured you know, journey from developer. You always wanted to write, so content, I guess, won your heart on the way. And um, yeah, from what you say, I think I feel that now it's uh, you're in a good place, you know, in terms of how you should be. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I love to encourage other developers to write also. I think, you know, people look at GitHub to see how we code, but how we think and communicate is such an important part of <laughs> of our professional lives for sure. And, you know, I think being able to have a blog of your own of your own content is kind of like GitHub for your thoughts. So I I always encourage developers to to share that that knowledge that they have internally, even if it's not for marketing purposes. Yes, please. Yes, please. <laughs> so now, um, Adam, before we move on, you know, to our core topics that I, I wanted to, to talk with you about, uh, let's talk data. Can you please pick a graph from devrelx.com slash trends and tell us what stands out to you? Yeah, and and yeah, bef- before that, I just want to say I've been really impressed with what you've published there and had a chance to co-present a Nordic API's virtual event because we're uh, <laughs> we're not doing real events alongside Christina and it was yeah. it was really fun to kind of hers was very much the quantitative side of developer engagement and then mine the the qualitative you know how how do you uh, encourage a great developer experience and it was a fun mm-hmm. uh, fun combo so for me, the segmentation stuff really leapt out when I was looking through the trends. And uh, in particular, the number that do or don't segment and how they segment. So 
uh, looking at 19% don't do any segmentation of developers. Uh, and then the top one is by target audience, which is probably something they define themselves. But then another big one being professional versus hobbyist or students. So a third of programs segment that way. I'm going to guess most of them want to reach professionals and don't want to reach hobbyists, but probably depends on depends on that product that they have. But I think this is one I definitely do see a lot. And I think it's an important one when you're thinking about developer content because you want to know who that audience is. And so to be able to reach them with content that is actually meaningful to them, you you need to know something about who you're trying to reach. And certainly that professional versus hobbyist is one of those routes because a lot of times content that's just sort of, we have some technical content and we want to write about some things that developers would care about is very often going to catch that that hobbyist crowd unless you're more specific with what the problem is and what the what the content is that you're talking about. So I really I I like those numbers. I I would love to see them all go up, right? Like uh <laughs> being able or I guess the the not differentiating uh go down to see that uh that one in five don't have any way of kind of segmenting that audience is a surprise. Yeah, yeah, uh, it is. You know, segmentation is something we we also love doing, and also you know trying to explore and understand how vendors, let's say, segment their developer audience. Uh, we'll have a survey running at the moment, which is a developer program leader survey. We run it twice a year, so uh, we're probably going to have some new new results to discuss during the Future Developer Summit on June nine. So of course I'd love you to join us there and uh, yeah, of course, any, yeah. anyone else you know interested in this. So let's see how how those numbers will. Uh, I think that might go up. I have like the feeling, but I don't have the data, so don't you know take this for granted right, yeah. now. But this is the feeling. I, I think that or where we should be going. Uh, you said earlier, you know, that since you've. Uh, it's been your dream as a kid. You just authored a new book called, and I quote, developer marketing does not exist. Now, uh, if we were based solely on that title, we shouldn't be having this conversation. Or, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't be, we shouldn't be running this uh, podcast series. Now, uh, yeah. let's assume for a moment that developer marketing exists. So, you know, uh, you can't see me, but I'm doing quotes with my fingers. <laughs> so uh, what is developer marketing? Yeah, I feel a little bit bad about that uh, that title, given uh, given not only your podcast, but then also uh, job titles that I've had in the past that have had developer marketing in them, <laughs> and uh, the people who I work here. with. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So developer marketing to me is really engaging with developers. So it's going back to that segmentation. It's figuring out kind of what they want, and then how can you help educate them move them forward in their uh, in their journey, inspire them about what's possible. And so uh, so that description just doesn't sound a lot like marketing. And so that's uh, uh, but that's you know that's the process that it takes to be able to reach developers. So uh, why do you say that it doesn't exist then? Is it yeah, just because the, the name, the title? No, it I really I do feel like if you come to to a developer audience with the same 
tactics you've used in traditional marketing that it will fall flat. You will not reach developers. You won't certainly won't engage them and inspire them. And so you have to have a different playbook. And if you are a, a marketer who's new to this audience, uh, you have to you have to make some adjustments. And certainly there are there are things with with tracking and uh, some tactics that you might be able to bring. You know, you don't have to empty out your entire toolbox, but you do have to recognize that this audience is very different than any other audience. And I think a big piece of that is that developers are skeptical and they have been burned by things that smell like marketing. And so even if you have the best intentions, it will be met with skepticism and you have to earn their trust. And that's not going to happen with the traditional marketing kind of approaches. I completely uh, agree there with you. You know, my background. So, so is, I'm I'm forgiven. The uh, <laughs> you are always forgiven. You're in this episode. Okay. Don't don't worry about <laughs> it. You know, I I come from a traditional marketing background. You know, traditional, of course, in quotes. Uh, and yeah, this we've had actually this topic as our first ever episode. We were joined by Mary Thankval, and it was our CEO also Andreas Costantino, and it where you know they were discussing how developers do not want to be marketed to. And um, mm-hmm. for a marketer, or uh, let me rephrase that, you know, whoever who wants to do marketing in sense of promoting um, what they have to share with the world, um, talking to developers or engaging with them, it's like the biggest challenge. Deve- developers do not want to be marketed to, and my guess is that they're gonna they want to be empowered instead. At least this is my feeling. Yeah, and 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 Mary, of course comes from kind of the developer relations side and uh, and that's that's a really important role that is not always mm-hmm. considered marketing in organizations and some in some it's it reports to marketing but I've seen it you know since the back of the days of programmable web sometimes it would come out of engineering early on because it was sort of a product minded engineer mm-hmm. who was helping build the API uh, a lot of times it now sits in product because companies have recognized how important that feedback cycle is in the engagement. And so, uh, yeah, so you have all of these, these different areas. And if, deve- if developer relations is not within marketing, then you still have a marketing department that's going to need to have that perspective and really being able to work closely with developer relations if you have it or be able to get some some version of that to be able to tap into that that developer mindset and yeah and it's a it's a it's a tough problem and that's that's one of the reasons why I wrote the book is to help help more people be able to do that definitely true definitely true uh, so what do you love most about developer marketing and so for me, especially since I came at this from content creation, so I, you know, I call myself an accidental marketer. <laughs> so I, I really like uh, that education and inspiration piece. So for me, it's the aha moment that that comes from helping someone do something that they didn't know was possible a moment before, and uh, you know, one of the. There's a lot of reasons why 
why you can point to why has Twilio been so successful? And people will say a lot of different things about certainly their documentation is great. And 100% they have a fantastic developer relations team. Uh, The CEO considers himself a developer and was committed to that developer experience from the get-go. But one of the things that I don't see a lot of people talking about uh, is that they help developers do something that they previously didn't know how to do. I mean, at the time that Twilio came out, it was so difficult to be able to make something work with telephony. And here you had an API call that could make your phone buzz (laughs) right next to you in real life. And I think that sort of aha moment that is presented by, by that use case is a big part of their success. And I think we can find those aha moments even in the, uh, you know, the, the things that don't make our phones buzz. And so that's the stuff that gets me excited is figuring out what is that for, you know, for each of the clients I work with or for each of the products that I'm playing with. Yeah, and it's uh, well, it definitely does sound like a much nobler purpose, you know, than marketing something to someone uh, instead of uh, giving him all the resources and um, educating, you know, on what they can do to reach this aha moment. That you know, there's been aha moments that really change the world or change everyday life as we know it. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, I I want to make sure I'm not too negative on the tradition <laughs> the traditional <laughs> marketing path. I think there's a huge power in being able to combine those marketing skills with that uh, with that knowledge of the developer community and uh, and seeking the aha moment and that that's really you pair those together and that's when really magical things can happen. So yeah, and I, I think that too often it's just it's one or the other and it's really hard. I mean, it gets back to the segmenting if you aren't if you aren't focused, if you're just helping every developer everywhere <laughs> or marketing at every developer everywhere, neither of those will be as focused as coming together and saying, we understand what someone wants to achieve and we're going to, we're going to help them and, uh, and inspire them. And so yeah. I think that, that together is sort of the, the magic combo. Agreed. You need to find the the perfect balance between the two to help you know bo- also both your business and the developer who is be who is going to be at the end uh, to receive you know what you have to offer. Adam, in developer marketing, what has been your biggest challenge now? Yeah, I think I I share. So I I should say that my d- developer marketing is very much focused on. The content side—that's my background, and that's that's my specialty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I I struggle there. I the same way that some of my clients do, which is to scale quality content. Uh, you know, I work with a great team of writers, and still, it's a challenge to be able to <laughs> to be able to do that because developers set a high bar for us, uh, for all of us, right? Who are <laughs> uh, who are trying to reach them and. And so again, it's a, a big piece of of why I wrote a book and, and even put a title on it like that that <laughs> that might attract marketers who are looking to improve there and be able to 
yeah, be able to reach that audience and uh, to do it at scale and with the quality that developers expect. And yeah, and so it's a it's it's a consistent challenge, and it's one that I am excited every day to continue overcoming. Yeah, but uh, isn't the a good thing about you know content that you produce content and then you build on it. So which eventually, you know, kind of helps the whole process of scaling. Yeah, meaning that that you're you're able to refine it over time and expand it for sure and uh and learn from from what <laughs> from what didn't work before. I mean that was you know publishing at programmable web was a a, a great lesson in that for me because we had multiple posts a day and the those were i mean probably half a dozen or so probably at the top of of my time there every day and that was a chance to see what worked <laughs> with the audience which was primarily developers and what didn't and and you know some of the things some of the things would would surprise me uh there was one time that i was writing a roundup of of API stories. So at that time I could read every tweet that had API in it. And I did. <laughs> and I saw someone mention this one and it felt like, Oh, this seems like maybe it's a, a bigger deal than just putting as a link in this roundup. And it was parse, which was a backend as a service that was eventually bought by Facebook. Parse had on their site, you could apply via API, meaning if you wanted to work at Parse, you could send an, an API request that posted your, your details, your name, your, <laughs> your resume link. And so I wrote a quick post up about that. And sure enough, you know, thousands and thousands of people saw that. I ended up talking to Parse and they said you know, they felt like they were the, the, the talk of, the, of their audience, at least, the, which was developers for that that day or two that that <laughs> that that post was you know at the top of hacker news and and getting tweeted out and i think that being able to continue to publish like that gives you more attempts to kind of get that that taste of what someone wants and so i think that that post the reason that it wasn't a link in a roundup was that it seemed like this this seems like something that would would hit a nerve or be of interest beyond this. And I think what you're getting at with the uh, being able to scale your content by adding to it over time really is that you start to see what what is what are the threads that that really resonate and and what's going to to reach more developers. Yeah, yeah. Trying to find, you know, especially as you said, the things that resonate is a uh... Well, uh, is a challenge. Is a challenge itself. So, uh, I guess there's something uh, you could, I don't know, maybe build a strategy around. Uh, which cues me to the next question. So, what do you think should be the number one priority where, when designing your developer marketing strategy? Yeah, well, that's that's a that's a big one because there's a lot that goes <laughs> that goes into that. <laughs> Certainly, the segmenting that we talked about before. Uh, is an important part understanding what uh, what developers are looking for. That's that's important. But I, I think the maybe if I tweak that just a little bit to what's the 
the biggest mistake that I see people make with with developer marketing strategies and especially around content. Um, and that's not having a point of view. And so that's sort of, on one hand, it's bland content because it doesn't have a point of view, but it's also non-strategic content because every company is founded with a point of view. Every product that's created has a point of view. There's a reason that it exists, or at least an opinion that it's based on that uh, there's a need in the the market that people... (laughs) Others are doing this in a way that is is not congruent with what we think is the right way. And that's how companies and products are born. And somehow in developer content, that often gets forgotten. So there's this company point of view. And then the stuff that that is published doesn't just doesn't connect to that point of view. Um, or it's too it's too connected to the product. It's all about the features and not about uh, why someone should care about it. But most marketers know <laughs> benefits over features. <laughs> but then I think in an effort to be able to connect to that developer audience, sometimes that point of view goes missing. And that's such an important part for telling a developer why they should care about this. It's not just that this technology you love is in here. Sometimes that's enough, but usually it's having this sharing this opinion that a developer can either say yes that that connects with me or even that uh, I disagree. That's interesting. I need to check that out. Like both of those can be uh can be ways to attract a developer, but uh yeah, but if that point of view isn't there, it gets very difficult and it's difficult to be able to increase that trust and kind of pull them into your um, into your world and uh, yeah and so that point of view can help can help to do that and really continue to have that in everything you publish it has the it's sort of uh, just kind of in the water of what you do yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, really, thank you for changing, you know, this question around uh, to talk about this because I, I've too seen it happen too many times. Uh, and you know, this this podcast is also about learning from mistakes. So um, you heard Adam, people, you know, please find your point of view and make sure you you include it in the content you create. And. What do you think, you know, uh, since we're talking about content, uh, what do you think, what kind of content should you make sure to be offering to your technical audience? Yeah, it's it's really anything that understands where they are now and what they're trying to accomplish. And one of the things, I guess another thing that I see often missing is an understanding of that, of what the developer's trying to do. So I think you, know, you can go and look at your documentation or your recent blog posts and see which, if any, are related to specific use cases. And, uh, and if you don't have any, <laughs> that should be your focus, right? And if you do have some, you should figure out which of those are 
are the ones that the most developers uh, can be helped with and go deeper into those use cases. And so often, I don't see uh, content that is around really specific use cases. It's, um, you know, to use a to use a Twilio example again, which uh, I think in that in that talk I gave with Christina, I joked about the time to first Twilio example. So, uh, so now we have our second Twilio example. But there, if they just said how to send a text with our SMS API, that's much less engaging than how to send an appointment reminder, like how to how to set up appointment reminders for you for your customers, right? That that use case is much more specific and is actually a use case as opposed to being very inwardly focused at your product. It, uh, so the, the content you should do should really think about what, what's a developer attempting to accomplish if they don't know about me at all yet. And uh, that's, first of all, great for being able to pull developers in with, uh, with search, uh, because they're actually searching for problems, not searching for you. Uh, but that's also a more engaging, uh, more engaging from a headline perspective. From a you know anyone who already knows about you is more likely to be pulled in by something that is focused outwardly on that sort of problem than focused inwardly on your product. Yeah, exactly. And this point, you know, um, in kind of a different way, but uh, I think you'll agree with it, is we've said that developer-facing roles like developer relations or um, advocates, you know, need to have empathy in their skill set. So the way I understand what you just said is like, it's an example of this, you know, understanding what their needs and wants are instead of trying to you know, promote your offering. Did yes. I get that right? Yes, completely, yeah. Yeah, and that Nordic APIs event, actually, I believe, was was titled Developer Empathy. So Developer Empathy, exactly, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Apart from content, you know, there are not, uh, as you said before, there are several uh, tools in a marketer's toolbox. And I'm using marketer again. Uh, quite liberally here. Uh, one of these is events. Are, do you think that developer events are important, and why? Yeah, uh, yeah, that was. It is a chapter in the book. There was a point where I thought about not including it, um, just because it's not completely focused, sort of in on content, which is where uh, where my my biggest value is. But I realized that that same approach that you use with content you need to use in events also so uh, developer important developer events important for developers for sure they want to <laughs> they want to go and learn more uh, they don't go to to be pitched to and promoted to right like that's not <laughs> that doesn't go along with their attending an event whether whether it is virtual or in person so um so I think developer events can be important. You have to know kind of what you want to get out of it. So um, it's it's going to be a good place to engage developers. It's not typically going to be a good place to sell developers. But again, it depends. So like 
10 years ago, we used to see a lot of hackathons. And I think that companies learned over time that there are things that hackathons are good for and things that they're not. And probably they're not going to bootstrap a developer user base from hackathons, but they get incredibly great product feedback at hackathons. And so if that is if that is a goal, you will for sure get that. If you have a goal of strictly awareness, like if it really does help to have any developers, if you're not segmenting by professional versus hobbyists versus students, and you want just general awareness, hackathons, other events can, can certainly help with that. Uh, they're also a great place to meet developers that that turn into long-term collaborations. And, uh, you know, I mentioned <laughs> the thing that I want to do when, when this is all over is be able to get out at events. Yeah. And that's beca- because exactly that. I have the business I have and the work that I do is really very much related to people I've met over the years at events. And um, yeah, and so that can be really good if you have the right approach and you send folks that have a long-term view. So developer relation, basically taking a developer relations perspective to events. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, uh, events uh, also allow you uh, first throw access to the people, you know, you're uh, trying to target or, you know, you want you want to talk to. So you have a direct line, you know, to hear what they're working on, what their troubles are, which, you know, takes us back to uh, the thing we just discussed about, you know, content that it's, uh, really helpful, but it also, the way I see it at least, is a way to foster the community, you know, by bringing uh, those people who many of them may be trying to solve similar problems, you know, bring them together. So another question here is how does, you know, the essence of community fit within a developer marketing strategy? Yeah, and that, that might be <laughs> essentially what I was saying with <laughs> events is is to to treat those as community events, essentially. And there's more to community than just events. There's a lot of uh, uh, effort online to be able to connect to developers and uh, smaller events, one-on-one conversations. And I worked a lot with this when I was at SendGrid. So the SendGrid developer evangelism team was, I think, about a dozen by... uh, At least by the time I left. And they were going all over the world to these events and being that great sort of engaged, connected, community-focused group. And and it was, I think, a big part of SendGrid's success. What I saw as my role there was to be able to scale that even more through content, to be able to say that that one-on-one conversation that happens at 2 a.m. at a hackathon that's a content opportunity. <laughs> the uh, you know the person that you engage with at a at a booth who gives some product feedback that could even be a content opportunity, right? So, being able to see the things that happen in the community. I mean, discussions on Stack Overflow, uh, you know, conversations in Slack and Discord communities. I mean, all content opportunities. So uh, so I think being able to to have those that that work 
with the community and, and engage and then be able to have it's probably others to help point to those opportunities that you have there. And certainly you can get to, I mean, the SendGrid uh, DevRel team was very good at saying, oh, this seems like it could be an opportunity. But um, but yeah, being able to specifically look for those. So I guess whoever it is who's looking for them <laughs> needs, to, needs to look for them. And of course, the activities have to be happening already too. So developer community, I'm sure, could be an even larger discussion with probably someone... Uh, different than me who who could give a great perspective on it but i definitely see the content perspective of that community yeah and i i really like you know how you have this uh, you know being uh, interested in working with content mainly uh, your viewpoint is also around content and it's you know for me it's very refreshing to see uh, you know this different viewpoint for things uh, i hadn't thought about you know before at least so so it's great you know it, it's great to see it from from that perspective. Now you you mentioned you know SendGrid and there was uh, as you said about a dozen team of people working there. So uh, let's see it from a business perspective a bit. Uh, how do you select the right people you know to help you implement uh, the strategy you made and how do you pick the right people to uh, talk and engage with developers? Yeah, so it's. It's absolutely a blend of skills. There's there's the technical backgrounds, but I think that some of those softer skills of uh, <laughs> of empathy and of communication are probably harder than some of those technical skills to get. And SendGrid specifically, the story goes that the CEO at the time, Jim Franklin, traveled with two of the community team, a developer relations team, to an event and witnessed what a developer advocate does. And he said, we like as many people who have this skill set as we can find, we need to get. And that's, you know, that was how the team grew to what it did. And, and so I think recognizing those, um, those combination of skills that they're, they're certainly, I look for the writing side of communication, but there's a speaking side that is really important to that uh, if that's going to be a public-facing role as well. And then being able to understand those, understand not just the technology, but what the technology does. So understanding how it fits into the world is a, is a key part of, of that too. And so, yeah, it is a, it's, I don't think it has to necessarily be within a single person. Um, you know what I was describing. Certainly, that that uh, SendGrid DevRel team um, fit that. But um, but I think as you as you put together a developer marketing team, you want to be able to look out for for those skills. Uh, you know, definitely the having the technology backgrounds but also an understanding of how it fits. Um, and you can get some of that from, from developer conversations as well, being able to encourage that developer empathy. Uh, I, yeah, but some of it, I think, is going to be there from that first interview. So looking for signs that's, that someone has, um, has done some of that 
kind of on their own because they're interested in that community aspect and that um, teaching aspect of it. Yeah, and uh, since we're speaking about skills, uh, you know, I have a, w one last question for you. There are, you know, out there, there are several developers looking to get into DevRel or developer marketing or advocate roles. Do you have any tips for them? Yeah, I think I think you can do it before you have a role. So uh, choose a technology that you're very interested in and start sharing about that. Um, I, I think there's a there was a in the trends there was a question about open source. That's a that's a good example. Of, I mean, open source needs people to help communicate about it. The 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 more the code contributions are not as uh, as pressing a need for most open source projects as certainly documentation, but also saying this is how this tool fits into the real world. I use this in my day job as a as an engineer. Trust me, it's important. And from there, if you start to have have that, that's a an easy way for when you are looking for that role as a to make that jump from engineer to developer evangelist or advocate. You can point to it and say, "Look, I've basically been doing this job, <laughs> so <laughs> now I want it. Now I want it to be my actual job." Yeah, actually, this, this is a great tip, and uh, well, allows you to practice. Essentially, what you you need to be doing in that role. Uh, plus, of course, we we have a third edition on our book, Developer Marketing and Relations: The Essential Guide, uh, and we have Adam's book, uh, Developer Marketing Does Not Exist. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about you know where people can uh, can grab a copy if they want to, or when it's gonna go live? Yeah, yeah, it's coming out May tenth. And so if you go to everydeveloper.com, you'll find out everything you need to know and, and be one of the first to, to be able to have it in your hands. Okay, and uh, don't be confused by the title, of course. Uh, as we said it a couple of times now, it's a, it's a hot take, for example, on why developer marketing is not marketing per se, uh, but essentially this, uh, both two books uh, will look into ways on how to speak with developers, engage them, and uh, actually help them achieve uh, great things, as we have discussed. Uh, Adam, if someone wants to hear more from you, how can they reach you? Yeah, uh, Twitter's a great place. I'm Adam D on Twitter. And then everydeveloper.com is uh, the primary place uh, for where I'm sharing tips like I've, uh, like I've shared here on this podcast. Perfect. And uh, before we close, what's one good thing that happened in 2020? Let's close on a positive note. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So even though we've talked about how much I want to get <laughs> to events, I, I've worked most of my career remotely. And so it's been fun to watch other people recognize now that remote work can work. And so I think that that's a really huge benefit. It will increase the quality of life of many, many people who are going to be able to, if not work completely remotely uh, from here on out, be able to have a much more flexible schedule. And I think that makes us do better work. You know, I, I sometimes come up with blog post ideas at 8.30 p.m. when I'm not in the office. But, you know, I, I jot a couple of notes down and uh, and then I can work on it later. And I think that that sort of uh, recognizing of the flexibility of 
of work will have a big benefit, certainly within the tech fields that all of us are in, but I think probably even way beyond that too. So, so I'm, I'm pleased with how, <laughs> how uh, 2020 uh, was able to help us all recognize that. You, you cannot see me, but I keep nodding from my home office. So <laughs> yeah. I, I cannot, but I agree, agree with it. Adam, uh, it's been great having you. Um, I'm really happy we, we got to do this episode together and uh, I really like what you had to share with us and the listeners. So thank you very much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much. And yeah, thanks for, for putting this podcast together. And for our listeners, thank you for listening to Under the Hood of Developer Marketing, the podcast devoted to developer marketing and relations. You can listen to all episodes, find free resources, and the latest news at devralex.com. You can also subscribe to our bite-sized bi-weekly digest or follow us on Twitter at slash data HQ. 